This is the Ideas Podcast, the show where L&D professionals discuss ideas over a nice cup of tea. Warning, other beverages may be consumed. In this episode, I chat with the founders of ID Arts, Parker and Andrea, about why they set up the organisation, the power of the community, and their combined experience freelancing in the world of learning and development. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Ideas Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, today we've we've got another first. Every every episode of season three so far has been a first. This is the first three-person ideas podcast. Um, so with us today are the dynamic duo from ID Lance, Andrea and Parker. Um, so thank you both of you for coming on the show. Uh, I'll let you introduce yourself properly in just a moment. But um, first and foremost, the reason everyone tunes into the show, what are you drinking today? Do you want to go first, Parker? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, oh, yeah? I'm really a simple guy, but I do have my coffee, <laughs> nice big mug with a little international delight caramel macchiato creamer in it. Nice. That's, that's, <laughs> that, that qualifies as top tier fancy in my house, let me tell you. That's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I would say normally I, I go that way where like, I really just want chocolate adult chocolate milk with caffeine in it that's really what i want most of the times like mochas and stuff but for now i'm going bougie though with this sparkling pellegrino pomegranate and black currant it's non-alcoholic but i can pretend we believe you that's uh... (laughs) (laughs) i did go to i did go to a high school where people hid vodka and water bottles daily but i didn't but so i've learned from the best though Oh, there we go. Look, there we go. And I yeah. am I am going full internet shill. Um, I've got water in my water bottle from lttstore.com, uh, <laughs> which has nothing to do with me or my channel. Um, but for those of you out there who are YouTube nerds like me, you'll get the joke. Um, but yes, it is just water. We are on a red heat alert here in the UK. This is not normal. Uh, we're all very unhappy about it. We're talking about the weather even more than we usually talk about the weather. And we're British. That's That's wrong. <laughs> Like even we're starting to go, are we talking about the weather too much? Like every news story is it's hot. It's really hot. The sun, it's hot. Did you know? Um, so yeah, it's exciting times here in the UK. Oh, <laughs> and, and today nice. I, I live in um, the Hartford, Connecticut area and they are forecasting potential tornadoes nearby today. Woo. Oh, that's not fun. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know. Wow. Yeah, not too common here, but it's going to be a fun one. I have to look outside and watch. <laughs> I'm See, just I, I curious. This, this is... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, was I was going to say, say I'm this just is curious. the difference. Is... When we talk about the weather, we go, it's hot or it's raining, not tornadoes. We don't deal with that, but we still somehow <laughs> think the weather is the biggest topic of conversation here. <laughs> oh, boy. I was going to ask though, what is that? What is hot there? Because I have friends who are in Sheffield and Northumberland, and they're like, "It's hot," but I live in Orlando, so I'm wondering what. Yeah. The, okay. Like- so, yeah, this is going to probably going to sound like very weak source to you in that case. So, generally speaking, if it's above thirty, it's pretty hot here. Like that's as you know, th- mid thirties, and people are like, "Okay, no, shut everything, no one move." panic 
but for the first time ever, we're actually predicting 40 degrees Celsius, which is a bit of a kind of, that's now dangerous. Please stay in your homes, Um, which, of course, everyone is ignoring. Um, You know, (laughs) it's just this mass exodus of everyone going outside, um, which is, hey, you, you know. I, I, you know, I, I've, Yellow. Uh, well, whatever. Uh, exactly. Uh, not me, though. My response was we do need to go outside to the shop to buy an air conditioner, um, <laughs> which has now got pride of place in the office. Um, but anyway, the uh, see the weather. Who knew it was this exciting a topic? Um, so let me hand over to uh, to yourselves for a proper introduction this time because I'm adjusting to having more than one person. Parker, if you want to introduce yourself first, and then we'll go to Andrea. That's a slightly better way of doing it than just letting you guys guess about who should speak first. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, thanks for having me on the show and having Andrea on the show. Um, we are both uh, co-founders of ID Lance. Um, so um, I've been in the L&D industry for, actually, this year marks my 30th year. Can you believe it? I can't. Anyways, my 30th year in L&D. Um, years ago, I was um, a trainer. I was an instructional designer and a developer back in the 90s. Um, then I become, became a uh, L&D manager, um, also became um sort of like an overseer of corporate training for like 220,000 people. Uh, so I've had a lot of great corporate experience. And then went on my own um, around 2007, 2008, something like that. So I've had a business since then. Um, Andrea and I started our ID Lance business a little over two years ago, um, having a um, great time with that. It's just a wonderful experience. Um, and I do have a master's in ed tech and a doctorate in adult learning. That's about it. Awesome. That's, you're, that's you're about bougie, it. Parker. Master's degree, doctorate, <laughs> massive amounts of experience. Anyway, just that's uh, it, you know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think I lost connection for and, a second. Uh, Andrea? Oh, I'm back. I lost there connection. Are you guys there? Yep, we're here. We're here. Okay. I, it went totally silent and I didn't, nobody was moving for a second. Um, okay. I'm Andrea McEnany. I'm not as fancy as Parker, um, but I do have a, a master's in media studies from the new school, which means I can make that sound like I studied whatever I want whenever I talk to people. But mostly I did like media theory and learning in media and I made a documentary as the thesis. Um, I've been, I also have an MN in learning technology, learning and technology from Western Governors University. Um, But I started my career actually in college admissions. I was like the electronic recruitment person writing emails and making goofy social media videos because I was 20 and they thought, you're 20, you can, you know how to do this, right? And I was like, oh, well, sure. Um, So, but, but even since then I had, I was always the one training people on whatever it was. And so even when I was in recruiting at NBC Universal, and then I worked at the new school where I went to grad school, I always ended up in a training role. And I had no idea that instructional design was a thing. I always just thought that the experts were the ones who were training. And so, hey, whatever. But then when I find it finally dawned on me or someone, you know, in the industry, when I got interested in like, what I wanted to do, 
in terms of changing my career, when I found out that instructional design was a thing, I've been sort of in it ever since. Um, I would say one of the, like, when I was having, like, real jobs, I uh, had an interesting job making technology courses for a library system, the Orange County Library, and I was doing everything from, like, how to use Microsoft Word for kids and adults to augmented reality and music production and video production. So that was a really good, solid first experience, and it made me realize there's so much to this field, and then I wanted to start freelancing and um, I became an instructional technologist at Western Governors University and then went. Parker actually gave me my first freelance gig ever in instructional design. And ever since then, we've been two peas in a pod, right? <laughs> um, right. But no, seriously, he, he changed my life. And now we have ID Lance and we are helping other people make that same leap. So I freelanced on the side for a while and then did full-time uh, freelance stuff. But yeah, I would say I've been instructional de- in instructional design officially since like 2015, but unofficially since forever, I think. I was always teaching people how to do stuff, whether they wanted me to or not, you know, training. That's them. The, be- the best kind of teaching that right there. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, um, so you've both got um, you know, a huge amount of experience there. And I think I was chatting to you before, and the thing that really strikes me is that right now the industry is, I think it's fair to use the adjective awash with people trying to teach others how to do things, Um, some very well, some not so. Um, But what I uh, am not that surprised by, I guess, but very interested by is the fact that your platform, Idealance, seems to be, and the community with it, seems to be the only one talking about how to actually be a great freelancer. Um, you're not so much talking about, you know, the specifically instructional design freelancing, although it is fairly specific to that. But, you know, you're looking at a lot of those freelancing skills that I know I certainly didn't have when I first went freelance and learnt rather quickly that in some ways they're actually more important. Um, in not getting, you know, arrested for not paying something you should have been paying to the government or something of that ilk, um, or getting angry letters. Um, can you tell I learnt the hard way on that one? Uh, uh, you know, whenever, whenever I see a brown HMRC envelope now, my heart still stops for a moment just in case. Um, so I, I, I just wanted to start with so asking, where did the where did the idea or the impetus come from to create a platform like that? Uh, Andrew, do you want to comment or shall I jump in? I think you should start because we were working together and then you sort of like came to me with the idea and then together we did stuff. So you should start though because it's your brain oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, when we started, uh, it was before the pandemic. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, the pandemic has certainly accelerated that remote work field and the transition of teachers wanting to become freelance instructional designers and corporate people wanting to leave and going on their own. Um, So we started before all of that happened. But even at that time, there was a movement going on and people were looking for that different uh, way of life. People were looking to do more... um, you know, hybrid working arrangements, working part-time at home or uh, or even just leaving the office and working full-time at home, but still connected to the company. So there was that movement. But 
what I saw at that time was that once people got the taste of living uh, and working at home, that that was going to be sort of like an aha moment for a lot of people where, you know, I think I can do freelance work, even if it's just a side gig, right? So, and I thought, well, there could be, um, could be a market to help people, you know, start the business, you know, maintain it and grow it. Um, even though they already have that background in instructional design, they may not know exactly what to do when it comes to starting and running a business. So uh, I've gone through probably three businesses, and the first one didn't work so well. I learned a lot of mistakes um, back in 2008, 2009, uh, but those were good. You know, good to know those, you know, before starting another one. When I met Andrea, um, I saw a set of complementary skills to my own, and I thought, oh, hey, you know, Andrea, she's a she's in a whole different world than me when it comes to writing style and coming up with uh, great ideas and so forth. So I thought, well, if we can join our forces here, that we could really go a long ways to help people. So that's the, you know, the short of it. Um, Andrea, you could probably add to that. Yeah, and that's a really good description of it. Um, so when I I was working full time at the time, but side gigging, and like I said, Parker gave me my first freelance gig. And when I someone who I was actually working with in my full time job was a contractor, right? So I had a, was talking to someone, and I didn't even realize that this was like a way of life that a lot of people had, where it's like, oh, you're a contractor, you're working with this university, then you work for this company, and all that. And she and I became friendly as we were working on these like 60 page manuscripts together that whatever let's <laughs> that was crazy and so we had to work a lot together and she was like you know I think with what I know about you you might want to try freelancing or you you might be good at it or well why not like because you she knew that um I wanted flexibility with my life and she knew that I had a kid and maybe I wanted more kids and all that and I even though I worked from home for a place, I was still feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm tied to my computer and like I'm stressed out all the time. And then there would be times where like, I kind of wasn't busy and I was like, what can I do with this time? And so I, she invited me to join this like community of online freelancers that was run by Patty Bryant and that's where Parker and I met. And so when he came to me with this idea of like, hey, let, well, what if we helped people start their freelance careers? It really meant a lot to me because when I was trying to start, I honestly was grasping at straws, contacting people on LinkedIn. And like, I felt like there was all these unwritten rules of etiquette of like, this person knows about this. And then you have to be really, really nice to be able to meet with this person. And if you can meet with this person, then they can help you. And I was getting really frustrated. And I feel like I, it wasn't, to, to, to use like not fun, you know, like silly language. I felt like I had to like kiss a lot of butts just to like get basic information of like what are projects like and when you do this, what do you do? And not to say that there aren't a lot of nice people who helped because tons of people helped me. Like, like that's, and, and I try to give back to them too, but it's just, it felt like it was like this, like hit all this hidden knowledge in this wall. And then even people who were trying to share their knowledge, it was all on these blogs and they all had differing opinions and you had to decide who to trust. And like, it was really overwhelming. And so when Parker came to me with this idea, I was like, wow, to have like an organized way and a safe 
community where you can just ask these questions or talk about stuff and know that no one's judging you. No one's going to say it's a stupid question. No one's going to be mad that you didn't ask for help in the right way, even though you mean well, or like, like that's, that was really like, I, I would have loved to have had that. And then the fact that we could inject our own personalities into it and realize like, Hey, this would be our business. So we can, have whatever vibe we want and we can be warm and welcoming and funny and empathetic because that's what I would have responded to. Everything else was like, I'm this expert and learn from me in this really intense way. And if you don't cut the mustard, blah, 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 blah. And like, I do not, I shut down in those situations. And so we felt, and so I was like, we could really access people and find talent in people and help them when they might not be comfortable in those other situations. Cause I know I wouldn't have been. So that's kind of how it came about. And we really just wanted, we know, I know how my life has changed because of like, again, Parker giving me my first gig ever getting that taste and the security of having multiple things happening at once and not getting that too. I would get the two year itch at a job. I'd be at a job for like two years and be like, Oh, I still like it. But like, I got to have something else or I feel like I'm stuck um, to bring that to other people is it sounds corny, but that's really why we started it. No, I think, Joel, I think that's really interesting um, because I, when I, when I did first go from full time into freelancing, it did feel a bit like you were trying to get into like a members only club. Like it was very much a case mm-hmm. of everyone that was a freelancer was a million miles away from me. You know, um, and the reality is, of course, they weren't. Some of them were, you know, a few months ahead of me. They just didn't seem it because they had managed to say so speak to the right people or get that right bit of advice. And so much of it is hidden away. Um, so I guess one of the things that really struck me, because and to be entirely, to be very open about this on the podcast, I, I have signed up to ID Lance. So I, I speak from a position of not just being told it's great. I've had a look. Um, and they're not just all terrible people <laughs> behind closed doors, honest. Um, I don't know. I as far as you know, as maybe far some, as you know. Maybe some of them are, yes. Based, <laughs> based on my interaction with everyone there, everyone's been lovely. And I think the one thing that struck me actually was the community side of it. Um, because initially it was a bit kind of like, well, I'm in the UK versus the US, so some stuff is different. But actually... A lot of freelancing communities, it's very difficult to be the person to show up and say, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. How do I go about doing this? Um, And you don't see that on or that often on Facebook groups because you get the Facebook response to that. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas in the ID Lance community, I noticed that people are seem to be far more willing to just go, hey, how on earth do I do this? Or how can I, is anyone, has anyone done this? Um, which, which is really nice to see. So what have, you know, what is it do you think that's made your community so different in that regards? Cause I think community building aside from it's interesting to find out how you've done it is actually something we, we need to look at more within the L and D field, um, both within our CPD. Cause some of them are I don't use the word toxic lightly, but they are. Um, but also mm-hmm. we, we want to start building these for learners, right? Our, our end user learners as opposed to just ourselves. So I think there's some lessons to be learned from what you've done there. Yeah, uh, that's a good question, Tom. Um, well, first of all, uh, members in our community are subscribers. So they've already made a commitment to want to learn more about freelancing. The other thing is, um, you know, we don't have a large group as small uh, relative to a lot of other communities out there. 
So I think there is that level of intimacy in terms of uh, being able to work with people that are like-minded. You know, they're all trying to join this journey of starting from nowhere to getting somewhere. And uh, and the other thing is, you know, we um, you know we bring uh, lightness to the to the chat. You know, you've probably seen some of this, but you know, we do have a channel where we just throw silly stuff out there, it's just fun stuff. We can just actually show who we are as, as people, you know, not just as professionals, but we're also, you know, revealing ourselves as humans. You know, we are humans. We have emotions. And so I think if we have some of that combined with the humor and so forth, uh, you know, we, we want to have that vibe where people will feel like, hey, you know, I'm okay with saying, hey, I've never done this before. Can, does it, can anybody help me with this? So if we can build that vibe and that trust, um, that's exactly what we're looking for because we are here to help. I mean, we have a range of experiences from people who have never done this to people who have uh, done it for years. So those that can help each other in the community, um, that's great. If I can answer the question, I'll answer it. But if I can't, I probably know somebody in the community that I'll just uh, tag that person. Uh, can you... Uh, you know, chime in on this one. So, you know, we uh, try to um, keep it informal, down to earth, and just, you know, have fun. Yeah, and I kind of think of it, I realized this recently as this is like our, you know, like we kind of think of it as like, you're choosing, we're choosing our coworkers in terms of like people you are in contact with. Like we're all doing our work, right? And we have ID Lands project that we're doing, but I think of it as like, you know, no obligation, no expectation of how you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to participate or whatever. And so I think people feel free to drop in and out and like share stuff about your kids or your dogs. And But it's not in this way that when you're in like corporate culture where you're like, oh, it's Monday, everybody's sharing pictures of their dogs. Like when you're like, this is like, kill me. I hate this force stuff. It's all voluntary. And then also... I think that we're really, really open about what we as individuals do and don't know and like stuff we've done in the past that is like, it's like that humility as opposed to like, I'm an expert and I'll help you, but you really have to be grateful for it. Or like that kind of thing. Like I, I don't think of myself as an expert of anything, but sometimes I feel like I know stuff and whatever. But I think that we because we're not um, like there's no, there's, there's no expectation in terms of like, well, you need to like uh, be a certain way or pay us back or like do this thing and for the community or you can't be in it. Like it's just people being people. And then we end up even attracting like, so we have this community and organically from that, we've like started to get contracts from like companies and we use the people from our community to staff the contracts. And even the companies that we're attracting have that vibe of like, we like that you're helping people and that you're not like putting them down or that you're not, um, you know, uh, making everything so stuffy that nobody, that people are worried about like doing well and not asking questions and stuff. And it's been cool. Cause like, I feel like I'm not like a witchy metaphysical person, like really, but I feel like as I get older, I sort of am, but like the energy that we're putting out is like attracting the energy of like the right people that I would want to be around. And it's cool. Cause I think even 
some of the people that have joined our community have become some of my close friends now. And we talk to each other and we help each other figure out work projects. And also the informal vibe of like, if somebody has a problem or if there's a common thing that we're seeing, we'll just like be like, hey, who wants to go on Zoom in a few, like a few minutes to talk about it. And it's not like this big, like come to the, come to this thing at this set time. Like sometimes we'll have that and we're probably going to have more scheduled events because that will be good for people who do want to jump in. But we also aren't opposed to like, hey, let's troubleshoot this together or just hang out and work at the same time on like a, a hangout or something. Because sometimes you just need that and being home is isolating. Like I literally almost never leave my house because I'm working and then I have to pick up my kid and stuff. And if I didn't have this group of people and Parker and our team at ID Lance to like ground me and, and bounce ideas off of and work together, I would feel like, what am I doing with my life? Like I don't have any human connection because I work from home as a freelancer. That was a lot. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I think it's it's interesting because I think it's it's actually one of the aspects of freelancing that doesn't get talked about enough. I think there is a lot. Freelancing is awesome. Um, and I think it's a great way to go. Um, but it's not as with all ways of working and not without its downsides, right? And I think that potential for isolation is is something that doesn't get discussed enough. And certainly there aren't enough ways that I've seen yet anyway to try and deliberately offset it specifically for freelancers. Because um, I think it's very easy to go, oh, just join a social group. But when you're in a room of people that don't really get what it is that you do, that can actually even be more isolating. Um, I know that that was certainly my experience. Of, oh, well, just go and hang out with these people. It's like, right. So when they say, what do you do? And I go, I'm a freelance instructional designer. And they'll go, sorry, what? It's like, that's mm -hmm. not a great feeling, you know? That's, um, so that, that's really oh, yeah. interesting. I think on that, I mean, are there any other... So I think we can, we can, we can wax lyrical on how awesome freelancing is. And we will do that. We will do that later in the episode, everyone. Don't worry. Um, when you think of kind of some of the trade-offs that come with becoming a freelancer, what are the ones that you think, I wish I knew that. And I hope everyone going into it considers this before they do it. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of a book, by the way, that starts out with that. I wish I knew. Um, yeah. So I, um, I, I think one of the things that I learned from, you know, my own personal experience is that I didn't start out in instructional design right away. And um, I was thinking with my background in corporate learning, I thought maybe I would be more specialized, like um, organizational change management, organizational development, and work with uh, think tanks and so forth, and really help transform companies into something that's way better than they were before. So I really set high expectations and very difficult to get in that market. So, and you know, you gotta make a living. And so the ID was already something I had experience in. And uh, when I got to that point where, okay, I'm not bringing in enough money right now, I really gotta do something. So I looked at the ID world and, um, I felt I was pretty good at it. So that's how I got in there. But I thought I was just going to get into just writing scripts or doing storyboards and find a developer who would partner with me to actually do the development work. So that was my next phase. And um, I made more money, but not quite enough. And so I thought, well, okay, what do I need to do to get more money? Well, get some skills and storyline. So I 
got out um, articulate and uh, I learned studio, I learned storyline, and eventually Rise came in. But um, that's when more opportunities came. So looking back at that record, it, the one thing I wish I had done was start right with ID right away and know the tools right away. So, because um, I was a trainer, I, I worked in a classroom. So I was a live trainer. I, I traveled to over 20 countries around the world in the aviation business. And it was fun. It was great. You know, I had classes of 20, 30 people, somewhere like 50, 60 people. And um, so I had a lot of that kind of uh, face-to-face experience and coming up with all kinds of activities and um, exercises to help people learn in a classroom setting. But, you know, going on my own as a freelancer, um, I did some of that training, but it wasn't really um, that lucrative at the time. And um, so looking back, uh, if I were to give any advice to those that are thinking about making that leap right now, uh, from corporate or from teaching is to definitely um, have your ID chops. You need those. That's like, that's a given, but also uh, know the tool. So, I mean, you can um, do pretty well with just knowing storyline and rise. Um, you could also actually do pretty well if you know Captivate because there is a, uh, there is a market there, even though it's not used as much. The Captivate developers are harder to find. So if you already know Captivate, then you you have a good shot at getting contracts. But um, other than that, I, I would say, you know, just just know your ID methods, know your tools. And um, if you have a good visual eye, that's a bonus. So, Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. Um, what would I say? I'm thinking what I wish I knew or some of the draw, you know, you said, you said some like of a drawback of like being freelance would be that at least in this country, dealing with health insurance is a real thing that you have to deal with, but finding out what other people do and being okay, being direct and asking like, Hey, what do you do? Does your spouse have it? Does some like just asking people instead of wondering how do these people make it work? Um, I wish I asked those direct questions without being like embarrassed that I didn't know sooner. Um, but also that it doesn't have to be a linear path that you don't have to, you can side gig for a while, right. Until you build up your confidence and all of that, you can go full-time freelance. You can then get a job. You can then go back to freelance. You can, you don't have to be so all or nothing. You really just have to do what's best for you at the time. And also realize that like, you as a person, honestly, whether you have like a full-time job and are side gigging or just a job or are just freelancing, you are kind of your own business no matter what you're doing. And you have to think about your life and your work life that way so you can see your potential for growth instead of being like, okay, well, I just have a job now or, oh, I'm a freelancer now and I can't go back and or I can't mix stuff. Um, and then the other thing is that I wish that I knew that when you, even when you're a seasoned instructional designer, right? And you're going into a gig that like, like it seems like you should have the skills and whatever, that it's okay to have that feeling when you're meeting with the client for the first time and of that, of like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Like when you're getting all the information for the first time and you're like, am I going to be able to do this? How is this going to work out? I thought I could do this. Like that doubt moment is totally normal. 
And to just trust that the more you learn about the project and the client and the more you ask questions, you are going to figure it out. Because I know some people and myself included, when I first, first started out with like corporate instructional design freelancing, I would sort of, I would have to talk myself out of psyching myself out. Cause I would be like, how am I going to, I've never done this before. Like why, how, why do I think I know what I'm going to do? Like, why, why do I think I can figure this out? But the chances are, if you are a, like a, you know, a decently smart person and you're organized and you can ask questions and think logically through things, you are going to figure it out. And for anything that you can't, you will be able to, you can find someone in life or on, you know, in your community or on LinkedIn who will either, you know, you can consult with, even if you have to pay for like an hour of their time, like you can figure it out somehow. And a lot of people are willing to like sort of, you know, trade skills or just problem solve because I think in this industry what's cool is people like to problem solve with other people's projects because it also gives them more exposure to the types of problems that can happen when you be when you're working on new stuff so that's kind of what I wish I knew instead of feeling like I was a silo and like that you know that the cliche term imposter syndrome of like wow what do I really think that I can do this is that I feel like every project starts that way it feels like this insurmountable mountain. It's like when you're in college or something, you have to write a huge paper and you're like, how will I ever get this done? You just break it out into chunks and think through it logically and don't freak out and realize it's okay to feel like you have no idea what to do in the beginning instead of worrying about it. Cause I would worry about it a lot. I'm just like, <laughs> I feel like I'm terrible at everything. I'll never be able to do this. And then you figure it out. It's interesting, actually, because I've always kind of felt like the moment where you never feel like that anymore, that should be rather worrying. Like if you walk into everything and go, yep, I know exactly what I'm going to do. It all makes perfect sense to me. Like either you're wrong and blind to it, which is worrying, (laughs) or it's time to do something new, surely? Like where's the fun in going, yep, no, this is all very easy. Like I I don't know. I don't, I I feel Mm -hmm. like the part of the joy for me of working in the learning world is walking into a room and going, uh, yeah, totally. We can do that. How do we do this? <laughs> um, that's, that, there's a, there's a great joy in the chaos that follows those meetings. Um, I'm not sure if my team would agree with me, uh, I tend to come back and go, so good news. We're doing this, work it out. Um, which is quite nice. Um, so, uh, so, obviously the, the 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 freelancing world is 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 very broad and there's a, there's a a concept that got very popular i would say over the last 4 or 5 years at least from my observation which is niching versus generalism um and i always sort of describe myself as an unapologetic generalist i don't want to niche down i want to do everything uh, cuz it's all fun um but there is a there is an opposite school of thought um so where where do each of you uh, each of you sit on 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 that side of things yeah that's the famous t diagram right so you go across the top of the t versus going down um yeah niching versus a generalist uh i think you know personally uh it's good to be a generalist in the beginning because it leaves you two decisions. One is you stay as a generalist or two, you find that area that you just found like, Ooh, I really love that. I want to deep dive into that uh, area. Um, it depends on the market, right? And depends on who's filling that market. So if you do decide to niche down, uh, I'm going to guess that is, isn't an area that 
that freelancer loves to do, right? Really good at it and really love doing it. And also there's a need for it. So if there is a need in the market for that, then um, that's a you know, marriage made in heaven. So, uh, but you don't have to niche down. Uh, there is a way to, if, for marketing purposes, if you wanted to kind of get out there and be different, then niching is is a good way to do it. Um, you know, I, I've told this story before. You know, we have one of our ID dancers who um, uh, loves to travel because she and her husband go around the country. They they are in an RV. They know a lot of campgrounds and campground management staff around the country here in the U.S. And um, you know, there was this talk about uh, you know because. You know, she has a background in learning management systems. So that's her, her forte. Um, but because she loves camping and she loves the RV world, uh, we had this talk about niching in an area where she could create and design courses that are um, targeted to campground management. And so she could have a site with, you know, different courses using ID principles. You've got the tools, you've got the LMS. And now you can target the campground management. So she's talked with different managers and there seemed to be a market. Um, so I'm going to check in with her in a few months, just see how things are going with that. But that's an example of where somebody could just find a you know niche and just go with it because they'd love to do it. They really do. Um, it's not just about the money, but it's about doing what you love and you're good at it. You know, so um, God bless her. You know, so if that happened, great. But other than that, you know, people choose to be a generalist. Uh, you know, my advice, even with that, is to try to at least know what, um, how you're different than others. You know, because you you do bring some strengths no matter what. So if you can highlight those, even as a generalist, uh, you know, you can make a good living that way as well. And yeah, we got and, I, and I think, our, you know, we're niching, right? So we're actually yeah. going to niche ourselves. So, yeah. We've niched ourselves. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I have had a weird freelance career trajectory that every time I mention it to Parker, he's like, I don't know how this has happened. Is that, can I openly say, like, I mean, I know storyline, but I'm not an expert of storyline. Most of my career has accidentally niched itself. I can still build stuff. Like, so I, um, I'm a generalist, I think, but with a focus on like writing and then like I can build courses and I can use stuff like Rise. And I'm not the best graphic designer, but I can like make stuff if I need to. And I think that, um, when you're working with new clients and stuff, like being able to project that confidence of like, Hey, whatever this course is going to need or whatever this program or whatever I'll do an analysis. Like if we do an analysis and like a course is what's needed, like projecting the confidence that like you can figure out and do what is needed to do. Because honestly, every project is different, right? Like there are some things where you walk in and all you really need to be doing is writing the storyboard for someone else who's going to develop in, in storyline because they might have an in-house team. And then there are some projects where it's like, hey, all we have is the content and I need you to tell me what platform would be good. Is this even what we need to do? What kind of images we should have and all of that. Like, so I think that to be able to get that wide experience, like Parker said in the beginning, like being a generalist of you, you kind of need to 
at least even when you're, say you're only writing storyboards, you still need to be familiar with what can the tools do? What kind of graphics would be appropriate? What's even possible, right? Because if you go in and you're like, I'm a really great writer, but I have no idea what the limitations are of any of the stuff that we're going to be building it in, that's not that helpful either. So, but then I think what happens sometimes though, is as your career is building, you kind of either are choosing to niche, like some people who are like, I want to do learning videos. I want to be the person who just makes videos, who does animations and all that. Like, I would never take on that project because I don't, I'm not an animator. I don't want to do that. And so I would not, I, I would need to find someone who niches in doing that kind of thing. But I would say generally for the most part, I like kind of knowing the possibilities of everything. And then as I work with, so as you work with agencies or clients, they kind of can recognize what you're good at and what you like to do and where you can work well with them. And then they'll often come back to you with those similar types of projects. Ideally, it's stuff that you also like to do, right? Like, what if I really, what if I was really good at writing, but hated it? And I'd be like, oh, everybody wants to give me writing projects. But hopefully you're finding stuff that you like to do and there's a market for and you're good at it. That's it. We talk about that a lot is like that having those three at the same time is what's important, right? Um, yeah, because you need to, you need to be able to know how to do it. You need to like to do it and there needs to be a need for it because, if not, then you're unfortunately you're not going to find much work. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd agree with all that. I think it's interesting. That's pretty much how Evolve grew. Is that I went? No, I refuse to specialize in anything. I want to do a little bit of everything. And so we had to hire people who were actually very good at one specific thing. Um, so I sort of found that phase of you can be a generalist. You just have to hire people that have niched, um, and they can help you out, uh, which is quite pretty nice. much. Um, yeah. So. Um, one thing I always like to ask in these, um, because there's there's always so much going on in the in, in the L and D world. Um, when you look at you know, the space now, whether it's the technology practices, the, the general direction that we're going in, what are you excited about? What do you want to see more of? And is there anything that you wish, wow, I wish that did not or was not happening <laughs> in the industry right now? Everyone's got an answer to that one. Sometimes people don't have an answer to the excitement question. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's hard. Depends uh, on your outlook, I suppose. Parker, you've been going first every time, so maybe you should go first on this one. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, while there is movement right now going to VR, okay, so we know that um, you know the companies with the big dollars will likely lead that path. And, um, but there are a lot of challenges, you know, with VR because I remember a couple of years ago when I bought my Oculus and I was like really excited to put this on and, you know, think about making, um, 360 videos with hotspot, interactive hotspots, things like that. I thought, well, that immersion would be really cool to see in the future. However, one thing that I did learn working with the developer at the time was that, even if uh, you're in a calm scene with no roller coasters, right? Because the roller coasters, uh, I wouldn't want to do that. But anyway, if you're in, even in a calm scene, people can still have um, physical reaction. Maybe just a little bit of um, like a upset stomach or something. And the refresh rate with the technology for your eyes at that time wasn't good enough. Maybe it's a little bit better now. But um, there are some challenges there. I think it'd be really cool to 
to get more into that immersive type of thing um, because context is so much, um, I mean, I should say contextual learning is powerful. So if, let's say, for example, you could put some glasses on and you're actually in an operating room and you're getting to learn, you know, more about the equipment that you're going to use. Um, if Let's say you're a surgical assistant. And so you've got all these uh, fancy, uh, you know, scalpels and things like that. And you've got to learn not only what they are, but how they're positioned, how they're placed in the room, you know, relative to where the physician is, right? So you have surgeons, you've got tables, you've got beds and all of that stuff. So the context in which you're learning it is not about the instruments themselves, but it's the, the location of them, you know, and the, the relative access that you have. So all of that is very powerful. So if we can get into more of that kind of thing without making people sick, um, that would be a great step. So I, I'm excited about that. Um, so based on what Parker said, I agree. The, the only thing that I also think about in terms of VR is like access, right? People having access to that technology. And that kind of is what, like it's it, I've, like in the context that Parker's talking, I 100% think like if you're a doctor and you're learning, like of course, like of course you'll probably have access to that kind of thing. But in terms of it making it like the standard that, you know, that's I worry about like the split and like equality and or equity of like, you know, people being, have access, having access to that technology. Um, but I am excited about that kind of thing because I think that it could be really effective for certain things. Um, I am excited about people talking more about social learning, right? Which is like a fancy word of like kind of what we have in Idealance is just like being comfortable to ask other people who do stuff questions and breaking down the walls of that and using that, using more informal learning techniques in more corporate stuffy places so that people are just more efficient you're getting sort of real-time feedback, like having, you know, companies having apps where you can like go in and like look at what you need to do, even whether you're like working at a restaurant or working at a store or something and having things quickly accessible. Um, I mean, I think that that is exciting. And like even, you know, taking some hints from places like Duolingo and all of that, like they're super effective and they're, so like having a more of a, I feel like it's becoming more common that, learning is having more of that like friendly open vibe versus stuffy vibe that people are just you're going to click through and be like whatever so that makes me excited what i'm not so excited about isn't really so much about learning stuff but more about like industry stuff where like i really don't want to have an office in the metaverse that i have to buy nfts of paintings to decorate with like, I really don't, I don't think I could care enough. I tried to go on Second Life. It's not that I think it's dumb to be in something like that. Like, my friend, my best friend lives in New Jersey. And we're like, how can we use VR to watch movies together and hang out and, like, being able to have business meetings and do that kind of thing? But if it's going to turn into this whole thing of, like, now you have to pay to decorate your virtual office or people are going to judge you when it all looks, right now at least, from what I've seen, like, like Second Life, remember Second Life, though that game, the video game, it's all kind of like that. And like, I can't take that seriously. I can take it seriously to like meet with people if we all know this is kind of silly, but it's cool, we can meet together. But I'm worried about having to buy NFTs to decorate my fake office. 
that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. I, I think virtual office as a service is a dangerous way to go, right? Like, yes. um, you know, it's, once you get these these sort of multinational companies buying virtual skyscraper offices for all their people to be in whilst they sit at home, still obviously needing to wear a full suit when sat at their virtual desk, um, just yes. as they would in their, in, their, in their real desk somewhere. Yeah. It's, I got goosebumps yeah. worrying about that just now. <laughs> it is, it is a... I, I, but I do wonder if part of that worry is because certainly at every conference I attend now, there is at least someone talking about the metaverse and how it's going to fundamentally change, you know, human existence or learning as we know it kind of think, Hmm, it's funny. Like three years ago, you said that about VR a couple of years before that, you said about it, mobile learning. None of that happened, did it? <laughs> like I still see a lot of PowerPoints um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's, uh, mm-hmm. and I think we're always very keen in our industry to say that, that this bit of technology is going to be the solution we've been waiting for. Right. It's, um, yep. it's, pardon me. Um, me and as someone that I worked with for a while, we always called it the, uh, the Brian syndrome from life of Brian, the Monty Python film. We're always looking for the next Messiah to mm-hmm. resolve all our problems. Um, yep. and perhaps in actual fact, just if we all got better at what we did, that would solve the issue. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Facebook is not the solution as it turns out. Um, but oh, hey, darn. um, so I know, right. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if technology came out and just went, don't worry about any of that annoying learning theory stuff. Don't worry about interviewing your audiences. Just use this technology. Everything will be great. Um, that'd be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're rapidly coming up on the, uh, on the hour. Um, so I really want to finish up by just sort of, um, asking, is there anything you want to talk about anything, um, that's kind of big on your mind at the minute about what you want to do next? Andrea, do you want to take that one first? I've been going first all this time. <laughs> yes, I can. We, um, we technically call that throwing someone under the bus right there. That's what yeah, we call Yeah, throw me under the bus. I'll lay down. <laughs> I'll lay down happily. Um, I, I mean, one thing that I think is really that I'm looking forward to doing is being able to connect more people to more gigs, honestly. Like, that's what I'm really excited about because we start, like, Idyland started out as just like, here's a community. We want to help people start their businesses. And it's just organically grown into us also being able to be a part of or lead really cool projects for nonprofits, companies, like, like, uh, the resident, like, just tons of different industries. Um, but then also be giving people an opportunity of like their first freelance gigs, or maybe they've been doing it for a while, but they haven't done a certain type of project and just being able to like help them through that and not throw them under the bus and be like, all right, you're on this project, go, go deal with it. And you, you know, if it goes well, great. If it doesn't, sorry, you won't get another thing. Instead of we're like present to like, make sure that the client's happy Mm. and then the freelancer is happy. And then, like I'm, I'm looking forward to doing more of that. And then also um, just seeing like what other types of organizations we're, we're uh, getting along with for like a lack of a better term, because so far we keep um, attracting things that have really good causes, like social justice type things. And then also like some really like 
cool companies where we're finding people in these companies who also match with what we want to do and have the same values. So there's a lot of like cool, like value symmetry that's happening with all of like the people that we're working with in the community and the companies and just like who we're meeting in the industry. So I'm excited for more of that. Yeah. And I, I'm excited about our book. Andrea and I are going to co-author a book. So stay tuned. Uh, that'll be coming out. I forgot. And, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a good so, sign in that. <laughs> yes. That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we're excited about that. Uh, it's just because, you know, uh, we've had the awesome pleasure of working with different freelancers and, you know, we're learning about the kinds of things that new people, or I, I wouldn't say new. All right. So there are some that are, brand new to freelancing, but others who are seasoned IDs, but they're kind of new to the business world. So we've been able to uh, capture some of those um, concerns or questions that people have had. And now we're just going to collate all of this stuff and try to put together um, a, uh, a book that will help you know, those that are thinking about it. You know, uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the next year or so. Is there going to be a recession or is there not? You know, there's high inflation right now, but who knows where the market's going to go. But it's always good, I think, to be prepared. So if something ever does happen, you know, you, at least you have some sense of what to do if you want to go on your own. At least get some part-time work that way, if anything, while you're searching for another uh, full-time job or those that are just yeah. want to just leave their full-time job forever and just continue with their um, with their freelance work. Uh, that works too. But uh, yeah, so that's what I'm excited about is to um, pay that forward and, and, and uh, help others. Fantastic. Well, thank you both ever so much. Um, just as a, as a final wrap up, um, obviously people can search for ID Lance and I strongly urge you to, it's, it's a great place to uh, go learn. So it is more than the community. You've also got a whole range of courses, um, which I found very interesting, even as someone in the UK who maybe some of the legal <laughs> stuff didn't apply to. It was interesting seeing how my counterparts have to, uh, what you have to deal with. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. we we just fill out a form once a year and go ah go away um and unless like me you forget to do that in year one and then you get a lot of very angry letters um but where <laughs> if people want to um continue the conversation or have got a question um where can they find each of you or where would you would like them like, to find you LinkedIn. as opposed to like finding your home or something yeah like yeah LinkedIn. Uh, weird internet yeah. perfect yeah. linkedin LinkedIn. Awesome. And when you're talking about the angry letters, I'm imagining a Harry Potter letter delivery situation, but it's from the government and it's like angry birds. Is that what it was like? That would be a lot, a lot nicer than it just showing up with the postman. <laughs> but, but the trouble is it shows up with the postman, but you know it's bad because it's got a blue special delivery label on it and they want you to sign to say you have got the letter. Oh, it's like, oh that, that's not No fun. good letter comes with the requirement of a signature to say you have received it. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> that's not a birthday oh, no. card or a check. That's uh, that. That's the king yeah. of all bills. But hey, um, uh, no, an, 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 an angry owl. I would settle for an angry owl. That would be a lovely way to receive a letter from the government. Um, <laughs> we just fantastic. get tons well, of letters that all look the same, and you go, "Is this important? I don't know if this is important. This could just be saying, hey, 
we're a department at the government. Or it could be saying you owe thousands of, they just all look the same and then they send duplicates of them. So they, uh, it's they kind mean, of like roulette of whether which one you open is going to change your life or not. <laughs> that, yeah, that does sound a bit unpleasant. Yeah, no, we, we know if it's, if, it's a, if it's a brown paper envelope and they do put HMRC revenues and customs on the front, they never write to you to say, well done, you're doing a great job. You know, They're, <laughs> it's all it's always something you've done wrong or something you need to pay. Um, but such is life. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thank I you, appreciate Tom. you making the time. And thank you to everyone for joining us for this episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Ideas Podcast. Please let us know in the comments what you're taking away from this conversation. And if you'd like to get in touch with any of the guests or learn more about ID Lance, all the links are in the description. Please consider hitting the like button before you go, leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed this, supporting this and the wider Instructional Design Tips channel by joining us on Patreon for as little as just one pound a month.